Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. Let's pray as we uh, finish up the book of Philippians today. Uh, that's, what, that's what we're doing. We've been in for five weeks now, and uh, we're going to finish it up today. So let's pray as we get into God's Word today. Lord, thank you for uh, your presence here. Uh, we thank you that you are near, that you are not far off, God. That you're near to us, not only here, but you're near to us in our homes. Um, when we drive in our cars, everywhere we go, you are near across the whole earth, Lord. And we thank you for Sunday. We thank you for this day that is, uh, Christians gather throughout the world to seek your face, God. Uh, as people that are curious about Jesus gather with others to seek your face, to know you, to be changed by you, Lord. We thank you for this. We thank you for your word, which speaks to us and changes us and informs us and strengthens us, God. And so as we finish up this, this wonderful letter to the Philippians, we ask that what it was intended to do would happen in us, that we would think like you and be like you, that you'd change us, that we would be solid in our lives and what we do. So speak to us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so letter to the Philippians. We've been walking through five weeks, and uh, there's lots of different things. It talks about joy, but the main thing we've been looking at is, is there's a theme verse we've been looking at. It's Philippians 2.5, and it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And so the idea that Paul's trying to get at is like, there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's all kinds of difficulties. There's all kinds of pressure against you. But if you do this thing, then you'll be able to walk out this life of being a Jesus follower in the way that Jesus did, which is let his thinking be yours. And so that's what we've been looking at. Um, one thing you guys need to know about me. Well, there's lots. Um, talk about giving somebody a mic. Um, but Listen, and you guys, you're just going to think this guy's weird. But listen, I love a good warranty. Like seriously, like warranties. I am so passionate about warranties. It's like it drives my family crazy. Because anytime something breaks, it doesn't matter how old it is, uh, you know, how fragile it is or how much it costs. It's just like, I, you know, they just know they can hear it. Oh, no, here comes dad. Here comes Cody. What's the warranty? You know, what's the warranty on it? Because what they'll do is they'll get good use out of something and then they're just like, oh, it broke. I'm like, well, what's the warranty? Like, what, what does the company say? Like, what, how do they stand behind it? And, um, and I had my prop, but I, I, I forgot it. But, uh, you know, uh, like I have this backpack. It's a Jansport backpack. It's just a, you know, student Jansport backpack. I bought it in 2001 for, uh, for a, our trip to Thailand. We took high school students and leaders to, on a missions trip to Thailand. And so uh, Cooper, my youngest son, started using it for school and he's got tons of books and it's just heavy. And so the straps at the top started to tear and it, they're just hanging on by a thread. So I'm like, you know what? I love Jansport, they have a great warranty. And so I went onto their site, paroused around a while, this is great, send it in. And they send this email as soon as they get it. You, you may not know this, but your backpack is a part of our great history from our first one. It's just so warm and wonderful. And then, and then what they do is like 10 days later, you get your, a new backpack or you get the one repaired. 20 years later. I mean, what did I pay? $25 for it that, during that time. But they repaired it and now I have it back. 
That's why I love warranties. You know, and, and, you know, also too, I get all these phone calls on my phone, like your warranty is about to expire. You guys get those? The phone calls, your car's warranty too, you know, so other people love warranties too. But so warranties are important. Uh, they haven't always been around. For most of history, it's been the saying, buyer beware. You know, in other words, like you buy something, it's as is, buyer beware. That was always the term. Uh, in the 14, 15, 1600s, you actually had in England, as far as the Western history, uh, the idea of warranties with real estate purchases, those type of things. But then uh, as you get into our country, you have things meander with more expensive items. But in the 1900s, uh, you had cars and, and they would maybe give like 90 day warranties, that sort of thing. Uh, but you know, then it went further, but in the 1960s in the United States, they started offering, uh, you know, like people got more express warranties, which is they express what the warranty is. Hey, we'll cover this for a year after that buyer beware, you're on your own. You got to fix it. But then our government got involved in, in 1970s. They have an implied warranty, which is, if you make junk, even though you say you only support it for this period of time, you have to cover it. So if something's defective or that's sort of thing, that's like, I have a 1993 Ford truck and it has a recall on it. I am going to push that thing into the, the, the Ford place and I'm going to make them fix that thing. Why? Because it's got the recall. It has an implied warranty. They made something that didn't work. And so I'm going to bring that in. They're going to laugh. I mean, it's going to be the story, right? Um, and so, so, a warranty is important. And, you know, companies that, uh, that have long warranties, it's not that their stuff's going to break, you know, after a long time or it's not good. It's that they built it for the long haul. And so what kind of warranty do you think God has? Like behind what he does, like he made you and he doesn't make junk, but he has a warranty for us. And that's what Paul gets to in Philippians chapter four. So let's, let's go ahead and look. Uh, at Philippians chapter four, we would start in verse one, but verse one starts with therefore. Okay. And anytime you see therefore in scripture, see, we have these divisions of chapters and verses and things. Those weren't there within the first writing. It was just, it was just a letter, just kind of all put together. But anytime you see therefore, look back what you just read, because the writer is, is it's important saying, Hey, because of what was before this, this. And so what was right before the verse one of chapter four was this Philippians chapter three, verse 20 through 21. It says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Are you excited? You will have that perfect body, people. You absolutely will, you know. Uh, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So Philippians 3, verse 20 through 21. So these verses, what Paul writes, he's reminding us really of the major themes of this book. When he says, uh, when he says like your citizenship is in heaven, remember, Philippi was filled with former soldiers of the Roman army and uh, their citizenship over and over again was a part of the Roman empire. Uh, they were told that uh, Caesar, any the time there was a major gathering, everyone would have to declare that Caesar was Lord and savior was the term. And so Paul's whole writing, he's pushing on this like, hey, you know what church in Philippi, 
your citizenship actually is not there. Your citizenship is in heaven, where things are the way God would always have them be. And also, you know who the true Lord and Savior is? It's Jesus. So Paul's pushing on all of that, but he also reminds them uh, of the return of Christ and what he will do when he returns. This is the best warranty ever, you guys. Look, remember what it just says. It says, it says that it says that he will transform even your bodies. He will transform you to be like him. He will make everything right. He'll transform everything. So anything that you see is messed up today, God, when he returns, will make it right and it'll be put right into him. And that's, that's what we see all throughout scripture. Uh, when I was, uh, when my boys, I have three boys, if, if you don't know me, and uh, when they were little, they loved Legos and they had, oh, they had so many Legos. And um, one of them had this Republic gunship, like a Star Wars ship. And when he had that thing, we put that together and just, it was so fun, put it together. The first time we put it together, it was fun. But then the younger brothers would take that thing apart. And so they took the Republic gunship apart again. And so I'd put it back together again, you know, and, and go together because I was the one that could do it, right? Uh, and then the younger boys, they had their room. I would come in and it would be like a bomb went off in there. Just toys everywhere. The whole, you can't even see carpet or wood. Like it's just, there's just toys over everything. And for days, we're trying to have them be responsible. Like, hey, can you clean this up? Let's clean up this room. Let's get, okay, we'll get on it. You know, we'll get on it, dad. You know, and the, I mean, they're like two to four, three to four years old, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and they're, every once in a while they would try, but every time I come in, they'd say, I'm going to clean my room, dad. I'd come in a little bit later and, and I'd be like, what happened? They say, well, I started doing stuff, but then I started building something. You know, I started playing and the only time that the room would get cleaned up was when, when dad or mom would come in. Why? Because they knew that we had the power and the focus and the ability to actually do it. And so this life is kind of like my boys' rooms. I, like we look and it's messed up and there's hard things and there's hurtful things. And, 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 but, but rest assured when Christ returns, it's all going to be put back, right? It's all going to be put back. Good. So Philippians 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Udiah and Sintiach, please, be, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. So he starts with stay true to the Lord. And you ask yourself, well, well why? Like, why stay true to the Lord? You know, because we can get into a game like, well, I don't know. I got time. I got time. I'm, I'm not too old. I'm, you know, kind of young or I got time or the Lord hasn't come back yet. And so I'm kind of playing games. And, and he's saying, look, Stay true to the Lord. Stay true to the way of the Lord. So stay true. What The way you see Jesus live and the way you, the life that he calls us to, stay true to that. Stay focused on that because he's coming again. And so you want to be going about the way that he is about. He tells them, he says, you are my true joy and crown. I receive for my work. Uh, the idea here is kind of like the bride of Christ, Right. Uh, you know, Jesus says that the, the, the church is the bride and, and Paul says that the church is the bride. And in Ephesians 5, it talks about how husbands love your wives the way Christ loved the church. 
And he talks about how Christ is going to present the church as pure, spotless, and blameless. And those of you that see church history or, or, you, or you look at church now or, or you've been around very long, you say, really? This, this mess many times, the ups and downs and all these things and our, our squirrely lives, all this thing is going to be a pure and spotless bride to present? Absolutely. I mean, only Jesus can do that. That's what he's going to do. But something that's important, he says, you are my joy and my crown and the crown I received for my work. Just so you know, pastors, they have a portion. You know, the portion is this, is pastors get the Lord. And that's how it's always been. You see priests in the Old Testament that came into the land. The priests didn't get land. They got the Lord. And then also, too, what pastors get is they get what God does in people. So when you think of pastors, it's always about the Lord and it's always about people. That's their crown. That's their portion. That's their reward. That's it. And so if you have a calling on you, like you say, you know, maybe I'll be a pastor. Listen. You know, today, I think it's always been around, but today is kind of the day of the, the celebrity pastor and all these things. And, and, and you, can't, you can't judge people. You don't know their true intentions of those things. But I will tell you, it seems like the focus is off a little bit about what pastors get or, or that sort of thing. Look, pastors get the Lord and they get what the Lord does in people. That's it. If you want to know the true heart of ministry, it's that. Is that the Lord... And then that you guys would thrive, that you would become who you are. And that's our heart here. All the people that serve here, that's our heart for you is to do that. And, you know, then moving on in verse two, it says, settle your disagreement. You know, and, and you say to yourself, well, okay, these ladies, I can't even say their names, one of their names. Well, you know, what about me? Well, you know, he says that to you too. He says, settle your disagreements. You know, what, what are the disagreements you have? And you say, well, why? Because listen, it's the way of the Lord. And the way things are heading is that all disagreements will be settled. So why live in a way that's different than the way things are going to be? Like that's how it's going to be, is that all things are settled. And so that's what he's telling them to. And he says, settle means to be of the same mind or live in harmony. So what can you do to live in harmony? You know, do you have things against people or do they have things against you? What can you do to make that right? It's important. It's important to the Lord. And it pleases them when we do that. Um, he, says, he says that their names are written in the book of life. This word life here is zoe, zoe life. And it's different than what we all know and we look at, which is bios life. So anything that has ever lived, including people, has bios life, like biology, right? And so in the Greek, bios. So bios life uh, is like we always want more and more of bios life, right? Like, well, I want another truck. I want another car. I want another house. I want more money. I want more things, right? And that's bios life. It's in, but it's, it's not real lasting life. It's just kind of here. But then there's Zoe life. And when it says that your names are written in the book of life, it's speaking of Zoe life. So it's saying, hey, this is a different life than what everything has, that it's alive. But it's actually the life of God. And so those that have the life of God, their names are written in the book of life. And, you know, if you fast forward to Revelation, you see the great white throne judgment. 
and you see where it's like people's names. You see this great book open and the book of life. And if your name is in there, then you, you go on to life. Why? Because you have Zoe life, right? And so you continue on to Zoe life. But if you just have bios life and you've never received that Zoe life, the life of God, then, then you continue away from that life when it's all said and done. And so it's very clear, is your, is your name in the book of life? Because you've received God's life. That's the picture that you see. And you say, well, it, yes, it's, you can make that decision, you know, for Zoe life, for real life. You can receive the gift of salvation of Christ. And then it's a, how do I choose Zoe life instead of Bios life, right? In other words, well, he says, you know, live in such a way. Settle your disputes. Take care of those things, for that is representative of Zoe life, just not Bios life. And also, too, remember in Philippians 1.6, God says he'll finish the work that he began in you. So it's just not on you, but you got to start, people. You know, you got to start and continue. You know, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I started when I was 15, and it hasn't, it hasn't very often been a pretty picture. But it's, it's the Lord that works in me. It's the Lord that works in me to change me and to work in me and to make me into the man I was made to be. And he does the same for you as you surrender your life to him. So that's what he's doing, though. He, he wants to write your name in the book. You know, I, I heard this story of this couple, and it was like the wedding of the, of this, of the decade or the century even. Uh, you know, it was the wedding that you had to be at. And uh, I think it was in the Pacific Northwest or so. I mean, this is, I don't know, 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, they got the invitation. They're so excited. They planned out their outfits. They just can't wait to be there. The food's going to be the best. And can you believe the place that it's going to be at? Wow, it's going to be amazing. And they show up on the day. And as you can imagine, this kind of affair is just like they've got security and checking guest lists and these things. And they show up and they walk in and they're so excited. Here we are. And the maitre d' looks and says, your name? And they say, such and such. And they look and said, I'm sorry, you're not here. I said, well, no, we were invited. We're invited. And all of a sudden, it hit them. They never RSVP'd. True story. And so they walked away. And so that's what God is doing in your life and in my life. He's inviting. He's saying, inviting, come to this. Come to this. This is the, the best thing around. Come to this. Come to me. This is it. And yet there has to be this RSVP of yes. I will receive. Yes, I come. Yes, I come. Yes, I will receive. And again and again, I want to be there and be with you. And so in verse four, it says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry. That right there where it says, Lord is coming soon. The New Living Translation plays around a little bit. Really, it, it says the Lord is near. They're trying to pick up on the theme before. The Lord is near. Uh, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. 
Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So first of all, in verse four, it says, be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Uh, you know, you know, you go to a restaurant and, and the, the waiter, you know, he comes out, you want pepper on your salad or that sort of thing. Say when, you know, or uh, I had a friend growing up, Eric, and uh, anytime we'd go to eat, Eric would say, I'm going to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. And I'm going to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. And, eat. and we would, you know, it's just, you know, and uh, that's what Paul's saying. Like, be full of joy, like just, just desire and be full of more and more joy. Just when the, you know, when the waiter says, say when, say not even close. I want more joy. I want more joy. And then he says, be considerate in all you do in verse five. Remember the Lord is coming soon or near. And so this is expressed like this, like this compassion really, or being considerate, or it's a gentleness. It's expressed in great confidence in Jesus. So it means that my interactions with, with people, whether in business or personally, um, it doesn't matter what comes against me, that, that I'm going to be gentle. I'm not going to be wrathful. I'm not going to be hurtful. I'm not going to be vengeful. Why? Because I have great confidence in the Lord. I have great confidence in Him and what He can do. And also, He's near and so I'm going to live a certain way because he's near and that's the way that's going to come. So how is a Christian able to manage their anxiety? Because that's really what it's getting at, right? There's great anxiety in the world today, maybe more than ever. It's, it, you know, it's, it's, we have so much anxiety uh, in the world today. Well, this tells us how we can do this. It tells us how the Christian can do this. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Great confidence in God, not that I can work it out within me. I go to him about it. So what does it look like? Well, it says, tell God what you need in verse six, and then thank him for what he's done. You say, well, that's nice. Do it. Right? Like, do it. Like, do this. Like, when you're feeling that way, when you're unsettled and those things going on, do this. And what it says, the promise is, is that when you do this, you'll experience the peace of God. And you'll experience not just the peace of God, like, well, that's nice, but it's a peace that surpasses understanding that even though this is happening, I have peace. What in the world? Even though I've lost this or this circumstance is going on, I have peace. Wow. That is the peace of God. It supersedes this life in this world. And then he says too, he says, fix your thoughts on what is true in verse eight and honorable and right and pure, lovely and admirable. Pay attention to what you're consuming. That's what he's saying. He's saying like, you know what? Consume this stuff. Give your attention to this stuff. The stuff that's right and good and admirable and these things. He says, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If you want to really know whether something's from God or healthy from you as you consume it, what does it do to you? Like the stuff you're consuming, the media, the thoughts, the ideas, what does it do to you? There's so many thrown around and who knows what's true. 
But what you can do, though, is, is to use your inner like kind of read that God gives you, the Spirit of God in you that says like, whoa, this is making you anxious. This is making you angry. This is making you hateful. This is making you fearful. And the Lord says, you probably don't want to gorge on that. You probably want to focus on what is good and lovely and beneficial. So pay attention to what that. And then he says, and he says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received and heard and saw. So be a doer of the word. I mean, I will tell you, most of us in here, if you've been at church for very long or going to church or read the Bible very long, we typically, like we leak, so we need more encouragement. We need to get back into things. But most of the time, we don't need another sermon. Yes, I understand I'm talking myself out of a job, okay? But, but, but what I mean is, is, that, is that we need to apply what we've heard. That's what's powerful, is being a doer of what we hear because it's life itself. And then it ends with, then the God of peace will be with you if you do these things. In verse 10, Paul goes into God's warranty of sacrificial giving and receiving. And it really has to do with giving and living. So he says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in, the, in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I, was, when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So Paul is pastoring them on the giving and living for the Philippian church. Okay? So he's speaking to Christians in Philippi, and he's talking to them about giving and living. So first, giving. We see giving that pleases the Lord. In verse 18, it says, this pleases the Lord. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to live and give in such a way that it pleases God? Right? That, that when you do something, God smiles. And he says, well done. So the giving that we see here and that we see throughout Scripture is giving... Uh, and we're speaking in financially or of resources, giving that's intentional and consistent. You see that in these verses. And then you see it in other places, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. It says, everyone must decide in their hearts what they will give. Uh, and then giving is also generous and sacrificial. You see that in this passage and all throughout. 
And so um, you see different types of giving. You see the tithe in Scripture, where you see commitment and percentage. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, talks about bringing all the tithes into the storehouse. So in the Old Testament, it was, it was the storehouse was the temple for what they would do. And then in the New Testament, it would be the local church. And so he's saying, hey, bring, bring the full first fruits, bring the full 10% into the church. And then he says, he says, test me in this. I will open windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room to take it in. Try it, put me to this test. And so you see the, the giving that's, that's, a, that's a tithe and it's percentage-based. So when we think about giving, it's important to think about it in the way that God sees it. So when I give financially, I say, well, you know, uh, God, how much, what percentage of my income, what percentage of my resources do you want me to give to the local church? That would be the tithe. And uh, it's, uh, it's intentional and it's consistent. Paul says, you did it then and you did it again. And so intentional and consistent is the giving that pleases the Lord. And then he promises this economy. Uh, you know, when you give in this way, uh, you put yourself in a different economy. So when you hear news of recession or ups and downs of things going on, uh, you pay attention because it affects things and opportunities and how, you know all sorts of things. It affects you, people you love, all those things. But ultimately, when you have God as your provider, and the way you do that is by giving back to him what he's given to you, a portion, you're not so much concerned about the ups and downs of, of the world economy because you live in, in God's economy. And he cares for you. Uh, Michelle and I, um, my wife, we, uh, we've been doing that for 22 years, ever since we got married. I mean, I gave before and uh, here and there, but it wasn't intentional. It wasn't consistent. And so we've given 10% or more of our income uh, you know, every year, every month for, for 22 years. And, and God takes care of us. There's always interesting moments, you know? But it's like we stick to that. We do that. Even so now that, you know, in this way, we our church too where we give consistently and intentionally to other things outside of here. Like what you guys give goes and touches the lives of people in this community and, and also Cambodia and other places uh, to help people. And, and so, uh, you know, a lot of times the first thing is like you give and you're giving sacrificially where it's like, whoa, you know, like, man, okay, this is a big impact on my finances. Like if I'm going to do this. And at first when things don't go right or things get tight, you're like, well, got to cut that. Like that's kind of how you feel at first. And you may do that. But as you do it a little bit longer, you actually, you say, oh, so things are tight and there's this, I'm going to give more. I'm going to, I'm doubling down. I'm going in further. I'm not going to, and I've just seen that God provides and provides and provides and provides because it's a different economy. And so it's also, uh, there's also a, um, an offering, right? So the New Testament speaks of an offering, Old Testament speaks of an offering. An offering is relational and spirit led. So there's tithe, which is intentional, consistent, but then offering is relational and spirit-led. So you see this in Acts chapter two, where you see people in the church, some sold resources and land and different things and gave it to the church or gave it to people to care for the poor. And so that would be an example of an offering where it's like, you see a need, you see something going on. You're like, yes, like that's what you guys have done with these Thanksgiving meals. That's what you guys are going to do with the holiday heroes of caring for these kids. You're like, that touched my heart and God's in that. 
I'm all in. I want to be where God is. I'm going to do that. That's an offering of saying to that. Like we've had uh, missionaries when they come from Cambodia, you guys have given love offerings for those things. Or you hear of somebody in need, that's an offering. So those are the things that Paul is getting at. Um, and then all, Paul also speaks of, of living that is empowered by Christ. In verse 13, it's probably a verse that many of you know well, uh, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, this is often used by athletes or people that are trying to accomplish things. I know when I was a high school football player, you know, I was a new Christian and I loved the Bible and I love this verse. I'm like, yes, I can do everything, you know, and I'm writing the verse on my cleats and all this stuff for different things. And, and it definitely can be applied to that way that I can do everything and, and that Christ strengthens me. But it's often kind of uh, misused in some ways too, because the true context is that this is the secret that's here, but here's what it means. It doesn't mean that you're always going to accomplish. It doesn't mean that you're always going to win or that sort of thing, or you're always going to be the person on top. The context, verse 11 and 12, it says that the person that lives empowered by Christ, you actually will have times of great surplus. Amen. And you also have great times of great need. Amen. Sometimes intentionally, because there's the there's always the rule of first need. Reese Howells, he was an intercessor in the in the in the 1900s in England, and uh, he uh, prayed during World War II. And they documented times that they prayed uh, for things to happen in the war and for things to be protected. And it's documented. Re- read his book, Reese Howells Intercessor, in other places. But they prayed and they would see the tide of the war, the tide of a battle change as they prayed. Powerful stuff. But he had the rule of the first need. Like, uh, in other words, you know, whoever needs those resources or those funds first gets them. So uh, there was this time that he needed to go help somebody, like a very serious ministry opportunity that he had to go to and, and be there and do that. And he was at the train station and, um, and he's in line, but somebody up here needed the money that he had. That's all the money he had for the ticket. So he gave the money to that person. And, you know, you say, well, what is he doing? He's got to go, right? But that person needs it first. And by the time he got up here, somebody came into the train station and gave him what he needed. And so that's like a really extreme picture example. But but what a way to live your life. So sometimes you'll have times of need because you sacrifice and give to other things. That's what Paul's talking about. And then he says, there's a gift of being empowered by Christ. And it gives you the ability to be content in verse 12 and 13, whether in a time of great surplus or great need, because that's the true gift, is that if I have much, cool. If I have little, cool. I hang out right here in the middle. I'm going to hang out right here. I mean, I'm going to enjoy the high times and I'll, I'll work through the low times. But where I actually live is right here where all my needs are met and I have everything I need. And so that's what Paul's saying. He's saying like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because it's not reliant upon the ups and downs of the world. What a way to live. What a warranty, right? Um, the reminder of true kingdom and citizenship is key, which we read earlier. So verse 19, though, we don't want to go past. Those that give and receive and live this way, In verse 19, it says that all your needs, all your needs, all your needs will be met out of the glorious riches of God through Christ. And listen, that have been given to you. It doesn't say that will be given to you, but it says they've been given to you already. 
So here's a key concept is that if you are a follower of Christ, if you surrender your life to Jesus, if you've received the love of God, if you've believed and become a child of God, here's the thing. Everything that God has is yours. Everything. But it only comes to you through relationship. So what a different story. We look at our bank account. We look at what we have, what we don't have. We look what we would want, all these things. And in reality, God says, that's not your true picture. Like you have way more resources than that. But it comes through relationship with me. And here's the key. You get way more resources as you take part in the things that God is taking part in. Look, Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, all these things, like the basic stuff. But Christians can sit there and wallow around in those things for their entire lives and never step in to push it and push into the things where not only your needs are met in great ways, but the needs of other people are met in great ways. Because a common thing is, is that like, if we get increased, like if I get increase in life or resources or things, I say to myself, awesome, my lifestyle just increased, right? But as a Christian, as a follower of God, as a follower of Jesus, what I say instead is to say, God, let's have a discussion. How much are you increasing my lifestyle? And how much are you increasing my giving? My partnership with you in what you're doing. And it's hard because, and this is, the, this is always the principle. If you want to gain your life, you got to lose it. And so in other words, if you always are just satisfying that first need, yes, God's providing that for you. But there's this whole other thing in front of you. It's like if you've ever walked to the places where there's caves, uh, you know, like the caverns. And um, I went to this one in, uh, in uh, Virginia where my dad used to live. And we walked in this first one. I'm kind of like, oh, cool. And it was kind of like space like this. Great. Awesome. This is great. I'm glad I paid 80 bucks, you know, to walk in this thing. But then there's another hallway. Oh, let's see what's in here. And there's a bigger cavern and a bigger cavern and a bigger. And just you just feel like so small as it gets bigger and bigger. That's how it is in living a life where you receive and give with God, where you receive from him. He's your provider and you also give with him. And it's this life of relying upon him and taking part with others. So what a warranty we have in Jesus that, that everything that's his is ours. What a difference. I had a, um, I'll finish up with this. I had a, um, we were planting a church uh, in a vineyard church in Central California. Um, I had somebody, uh, we had no money. Like, you know, I don't know how we're going to pay rent. It was just like this crazy thing and stepped away from something else. And I'm working full-time job and trying to do it. Just like, man, how are we going to do this? And I'm like outside, you know, doing what a, any good, strong man would do. And I'm crying and like, Lord, you know, and I'm calling my realtor and be like, we're not gonna be able to make it. This is going bad. And I, you know, and I'm out in the dark. And then all of a sudden somebody's in my, in, you know, walks into my, uh, they knock on the screen door. Somebody's in my home, like, Hey, what are you doing? And say, come in here. And so the person tells me, and it, it, I, I'm not going to go into all the details because it's private, but they basically said like they, they're getting this huge thing because of a, a asset and, and, you know, it was like some astronomical figure, like their portion of it for their family was like, um, I think their portion was like, uh, like 40 million. And they said, and just so you know, we believe in tithing. 
And just so you know, like realtors, they can multiply by 3% real quick. Um, pastors can multiply by 10 real quick, you know? And so, so I'm like, that's $4 million. I, I didn't say that, but I said, okay. And I'm sitting there saying, well, we can't make it or we can't do whatever, right? And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, well, I, I'm just trying to keep cool. Okay, well, you know, I, I'm thinking, should I say, are you sure? You know? And so um, long story short, I just said, okay, and well, interesting. Okay, well, let me pray for you. You know, let's pray. Let's talk. That's good. You definitely need wisdom and all these things. And long story short, the thing never happened. Okay. But it was like a year and a half later and, and God provided for all of our needs and, and saw people come to Jesus and the church is doing great and doing this to this day and all those things. But see, my perspective was different because I didn't think I had anything. And then in the moment, God actually just kind of threw me, a, he kind of duped me. He's like, hey, let me show you. And then so, because what I did that night is that we didn't have any money, but I told Michelle, I'm like, we're having dinner out tonight. <laughs> so there was this great uh, Asian food place that was right near us. And so I'm like, oh yeah. And I'm like, hey, what do you want? Let's get this. And then she goes, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, this is great. We're good. You know, I mean, he said he's tithing. Okay. And so, so we, we go and we're going to get this dinner. And I mean, we spent like a hundred bucks on it. I mean, we just got the takeout and like, I'm eating the stuff on the way home. I'm, you know, life's good. Right. And, uh, and we get there. So year and a half later, everything's good, but the thing never turned out. God's provided in different ways. I'm sitting there in my car at the light. I look over and see the Asian place and I'm like, you tricked me. And, and I didn't understand this concept before that of everything that's his is mine, but it's through relationship. Like he's like, Cody, you don't need this big windfall. You don't need this big thing, but it's through relationship. As you continue to walk this out, I provide for these things. And so actually he had more than enough, but he just had to continue, have me continue on for a little bit. And that's what he did. So how do you guys take this home? How do we take this home? Well, first of all, um, Go all in on internal, real lasting life in the here and now and all things. So, so go all in, in, in like the settling your disagreements. Go all in, in serving and giving and living in such a way that God, you have great confidence in God. Go all in that you're gentle to all people. Go all in, in living and walking in the way that Jesus did. Why? Because that's the way it's going to be. That's where it's all headed. And Jesus is near and he is coming back. The second thing is discuss your finances with the Lord. Like read the verses here about giving, read these things here, discuss them and make an intentional plan. Make an intentional plan for 2022. Say, Lord, what percentage of what you've given us should we give back to you? And then what percentage should we leave set aside so that when there's things that come up that are near to your heart, should we participate in? but set a plan and stick to it throughout the whole year. And then the third thing is ask Jesus how he wants you to partner with him in his kingdom in 2022. Like, what are the things that you want me to partner in, God? What are the things that you have for me? Because we see this here. We see this incredible warranty. And I will tell you this, and again, God's warranty is the best one out there because it actually covers something that all the warranties on the earth don't. It actually covers accidental and intentional abuse, right? I mean, some of us that, you know, we're listening to this and it's like, well, God's got all these promises. And this is what's going on in some of our minds is that, is that I, this is good, but I don't hold up my end of the bargain. I intentionally break myself. I intentionally break this thing that God made. 
And I do it over and over again. And God says, that's okay. My warranty covers that too. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. Thank you.